Um, glad to be with y'all this morning. It is always a gift. I am going to do that because it's just going to drive me crazy. There we go. Girl preacher problems, y'all, really. <laughs> and put a mask in with this, or if you wear some glasses, it's, it's not good. Um, I'm, I'm glad to, for the invitation. Always grateful to be with you, grateful for you as a body, um, and for what you stand for, what you've done, who you, who you are in this in this community of Austin. My job as district superintendent is to work with United Methodist Churches in part to challenge, I'm not the boss. You know Jason and Trey do not act like people who have a boss, okay? (laughs) If I were the boss, I don't think so. So I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But what, you know, my job is to both bring um, connection, to try to network, and to try to encourage churches in their work, in their ministry. And, you know, as hard as COVID has been, uh, really a kick in the kneecaps for the church, for people who serve in in lay or clergy positions, as I go around this district, what I see is very helpful. Um, I think that this moment has given us, uh, has made us, forced us, right, in the the turn of 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 a moment to, to think about what's most important, to think about why we're here, um, and to wonder about the, the purpose behind what we do, right? Why we do it, uh, how we use our energy and the money that folk give out of gratitude to God. And so um, the, the, the places that have come through this, this crisis the best, I'm sorry, y'all, are the ones, there we go, who have gotten clear about purpose um, because it helps you say yes to this and no to that, even if they're both good, right? Um, so it, I want to rejoice with you over the ability to be back together to get, again uh, with each other in the same room. Uh, for those who are here, for those who are not here, uh, you're still connected. You're still an essential member of the body of Christ in this place. And whoever you are, however you got here, uh, you're here for a reason. And so uh, I'm glad to be part of that with you and a member of that body with you. Um, I want to invite you to hear this day, the the scripture for the day, this third Sunday of Lent. Um, It comes from the 13th chapter of the gospel according to Luke, beginning in the first verse. At that very time, there were some present who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, Do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. 
If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. May God add a blessing on the reading and the hearing and the living of this holy word. Amen. So according to the scriptural record, if you've read around a little bit in the Bible, it appears that being Haiti and judgy is not an invention of the 21st century. As good as we are at it, it's a big surprise. Maybe it's a small comfort, but we didn't make it up. Human beings have been pointing fingers of accusation, drawing lines of judgment for a very long time, probably since the beginning. It seems certainly since the beginning of this recorded ancient book. It's old enough, we can maybe presume that it's part of our DNA. I don't know. And if we've given it even just a moment's honest thought, we know down deep that any time we point a finger at somebody else in a negative way, it's to protect ourselves. You know, the old thing where your mom said, right? When you point, there's three fingers pointing back at you, right? It's so dumb, and yet it's true, right? We're trying to protect the way we do things, the way we think, the way we're comfortable, the way we have power, the way we want it to be. Uh, This defensive (laughs) finger-pointing takes uh, different forms in in our society, in our communities. Um, I went down a whole internet wormhole about uh, whataboutism, uh, also known as whataboutery. That's a word now. We probably did invent that. Where you criticize me for some hurtful thing I did, and then I say, but what about that hurtful thing you did? What surprised me was the number of times recorded that this has been used as a tactic in international diplomacy, not just even the most recent years, which we're very aware of. But, you know, maybe it shouldn't surprise us, but everywhere from China to Saudi Arabia to Iran to to both sides in Ireland, to India, to Turkey, to our own nation, notable leaders who will remain nameless. Sometimes we ourselves, we just refuse to even acknowledge, it's not yes, but, it's just what about? Refuse to acknowledge something in ourselves that needs to change. Uh, And we point the finger back at the source of the critique, right? So rather than both parties agreeing to work on their issues in a way that benefits all. You know, we hold up this bounce-back mirror, a Captain America shield, uh, so that we, we think, can avoid honest truth-telling in our own lives. It reminds me of the way children argue with each other. Children. My children. Yeah, but, but what about, you know, we don't ever grow up from that? How is that possible? we point the finger is by what's called projection. (laughs) We take the thing that we're most afraid of or ashamed of in our own self and we project that quality onto someone else so that we can hopefully wall ourselves off from it. If it's out there and not in here, then I'm going to be safe. A person attracted to a coworker might accuse her spouse of cheating A man who fears he can't comply with the norms of masculinity mocks other men who he thinks act like women. 
Bullies employ this tactic all the time. I dare say the roots of the Russian invasion of Ukraine might come from this same impulse. You try to beat down the brokenness or the shame or the fear or the perceived weakness inside by beating it down in somebody else. Hit first so they don't hit you. It's brutal and it's violent and it's a basic truth about us. It's not the only truth about us, thanks be to God, but it is one of the places we have to start from during Lent. We carry brokenness inside as a result of being human. And what we do is then we turn to the world and we either live out of that brokenness and let it shape our lives or we spend our lives trying to escape from it. And either way, both ways are hurtful. We hurt other people, we hurt ourselves. And on top of that, we don't want to acknowledge that any of it is true. And so we'll deny it until the sun goes down, right? We come from a long line of human beings who have felt and acted in that same way. So in today's scripture, we have reference to these two terrible events that killed people. The details of these events, it seems weird as we read them. Those details are lost to us now, but probably were uh, very clear to the folks who first read this text. Um, but what we can gather is that in the first, honestly, grisly account, Pilate, Pontius Pilate must have killed some Galilean pilgrims to Jerusalem. And as an act of power and bullying, uh, mixed their blood with the blood of the animals they had brought to sacrifice to God in the temple. And in the second event, a tower which is now uh, uh, presumed to have stood along the city wall in Jerusalem must have fallen on some people. And as you may know, it was popular theology then, sometimes even now in certain circles, to presume that people who had bad things happen to them must have done bad things. So whatever their fate, whether blindness or poverty or uh, leprosy or uh, any other kind of misfortune, these were seen as due consequences for something they'd done. This was a cause and effect that could be traced, and, and it had to be about a sin they'd committed. Read the book of Job. Read what his friends say to him at the beginning of that book. People got really good at figuring out which sins other people must have committed in order to make things happen to them. It was a way of understanding why the work, world works the way it does, uh, why bad things happen to apparently good people. And folks were interested in having all of that nailed down because it felt like that way they could control their own fate. Follow the rules and you can avoid the terrible things that happen to other people. Follow the rules and work hard to draw the bright line between you and the terrible things. As you also may know from reading around in the Gospels, Jesus was having none of that. Stop using religion if that's when it's gonna, where it's going to take you. Stop playing at this supposed life of faith if that's where it takes you. The lens or filter that you're using to understand the difficulties of life is flawed. Your lens refracts what you see into, into waves of 
fear or scarcity or a very serious lack of love. Jesus, in this text, calls his people to repent. Not of the things that we've all learned would send us to hell back in Sunday school. He calls his people to repent from small-heartedness, from fear that shuts down compassion as if it were pinching a green bud off a tree. He calls his people to repent, in part for their own sake, but also because the world needs his body to look different from that. It is all around us, that need. Local school board or health department meetings that turn into shouting matches with these broad brush accusations and recriminations and threats of violence in a school board meeting? The stubborn un- unwillingness of, 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 of white people to stop talking long enough to learn from people of color. Our unwillingness to recognize and be the discomfort, the shame of knowing that we are part of the problem of racial injustice. Very recently, we have the example of this state targeting trans kids and their families for navigating the most intimate, challenging terrain with attempts at love and care and respect. And this last case goes beyond just pointing the finger of judgment at these families, investigating loving parents and beautiful children as a site of abuse. It's the second recent example of a strategy in this state that encourages citizens to turn each other in for the most personal reasons, taking neighbors and making of us accusers and accused, drawing that bright line of judgment, nurturing suspicion and animosity, and very often using the name of Jesus as the motivation for that. That's Christian preaching and practice that does harm and can even be lethal. It is around us. It is all around us. Sometimes it is us, this urgent need for repentance. Now and then, it's a crisis moment that connects us uh, with the need to correct our lens with which we view each other and that can move us to repentance and love. This Russian invasion of Ukraine has shifted the perspective of thousands of Russians who never thought their country could be capable of such a thing. And some of them have spoken out in courageous ways that have put their lives at risk. People united there by shared bloodlines across national boundaries, we've heard about this, and and that those folk know that those bloodlines are valuable, that they matter, that that kinship is true. We who watch the news unfold every morning with horror, this morning is another one. We who itch to help, who yearn to be helpful, even as we also fear World War III with good reason, we know that war could become a reality for us too. And as COVID has already forced us to reevaluate what we hold most dear, I dare to believe that we feel a stirring in the bottom of our hearts in this moment, a call to live uh, from the spirit in us that's most noble and good. Now that 
is me daring to say something that's probably naive or even stupid, but I don't know what else to do. Such is the power of the love of God that God has ingrained in us just as much a part of our DNA. Repentance in the way we live and view each other is important precisely because life is hard. Today's words from Jesus lay bare the uncertainty, the the fragility of our lives, and the terror we feel at our own vulnerability. And he says to us, this is the way it is. Not one more day of life is guaranteed to you. Not one. That is not in your control. Your job as people of God is not to be in control and to ensure that only good happens to you and the ones you love. Your job is to plant yourself in the world in the midst of its randomness and its cruelty and to love anyway, to be vulnerable anyway, to have mercy anyway. Your job is to live planted in the garden, sending out your roots into the earth and allowing the diverse life-giving beauty of the Lord God to come through you and to spring up in your life. Because this is who God is, the God who made you and me and all people, who breathes life into us, whose breath fills our every breath, This God who long ago counted every hair on your head. This God who pours out love and loves us with abandon, ridiculous extravagance all along the way. We see this this extravagance in the gardener in this text whose job it surely must have been to maximize production, to increase revenue and yield and yet who pleads on behalf of the barren tree. Three years that fig tree has sat, sucking up nutrients and water and keeping it all locked inside. Yet the gardener says, Sir, just one more season. Let me see what we can do. Perhaps his experienced eye looks at that tree and sees a possibility of green goodness down deep, waiting to sprout. Or maybe it's his faith in the power of manure, creating fruit by feeding it with with the end of the organic life cycle, the thing that happens to fruit when you feed it to a body, right? What an irony. The lowest, nastiest, most despised substance becoming, holding the key to abundant life and fruitfulness. Life is not guaranteed to us in any moment. But in this moment, life is a gift. And it's very, very good. And the world needs people. The world needs a community that knows these things, Austin New Church. This community needs a tree of life whose fruit is for all. This war-torn, politically divided, COVID-exhausted moment needs people who will plead and dig down deep for the side of mercy 
and justice and shalom. The need for repentance is urgent. Not so we can avoid the fires of of damnation later on, though that would be good. (laughs) The need is urgent so that we can be about sharing the gift of life right now. There are things to be angry about. There are things worth fighting for. And routinely around us, death is administered in our name. But this Lent, my prayer is that we, as people of Jesus Christ, can grow in knowing ourselves so, as so deeply beloved, so deeply loved, so deeply valued, that we have no need to justify ourselves. We have no need to draw lines between us and other people. And I pray that in its season, the fruit of love planted deep within us will come to the surface, will sprout and spring forth by God's grace, rich and ripe and sweet, to bless and to feed. May it be so. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.